You're listening to Tabletop Genesis, a podcast by Genesis fans for Genesis fans. Hi there, this is Mike Lord. And Tom Roche. And we have a special guest for today's episode, and that special guest is... David Priest. I've, I've never felt more special, guys. Thank you, you for should. having me back. You, We are always happy to have you here, David. You have guested with us to talk about Peter Gabriel 1. Mm-hmm. And have, have you been on another time? I'm trying to remember. I feel like I have, but I can't remember we need an episode, which records. means I probably haven't. <laughs> yeah. I just, in my dreams, I talk with you yes, every episode. Of course, you know, it, well, that's the whole point of having these shows is that it is a dialogue with our listeners. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're always happy to kind of make contact with people. And David has been an author and somebody who's uh, written books about national security, things of that nature. We'll do some plugs at the end and everything. But we're here with David today because David saw Peter Gabriel with us back in September in Philadelphia. And so we thought that he'd be a good person to bring on to this episode to talk about the I.O. album as a whole. And so this is our special year-end wrap-up episode where we're talking about I.O. not quite this way we do one of our normal album reviews. This will be a bit more free-flowing, but it is something that we wanted to talk about and kind of use this as a summation of this past year. And you'll have to excuse me, dear listeners, because I have a slight sore throat. Don't think it's COVID or anything like that. So if you hear me cough or sneeze or sniffle or anything like that, those are the reasons why. So I will do my best not to cough into the microphone. and cause They can still send flowers to you, though, right? They can. They can. They can send it uh, through the Tabletop Genesis email. And uh, I will get the electronic (laughs) flowers for everybody. So we're not going to do a Wikipedia reading of what IO is all about because we've been talking about it for this past year. But that's what I want to ask the two of you as an initial question about this is how do you feel for yourself that this kind of strategy of album release by doing a song a month, how did this work for each of you as a fan of Peter Gabriel? What do you think of this of this new marketing scheme that Peter had? I'll let David, our guest, chime in first. You are very kind. Because I'm I'm just going to copy your answer, so I want to hear what you say first. <laughs> You're very kind because I will not be. I <laughs> hated, I hated the monthly release leading to an album because I am the kind of guy who loves getting the album, carving out the time to put it on, playing for time, if you will, to play the album and listening to it from front to back, you know, whether it's with the the AirPods now or whether it's with the good speakers and really basking in the experience and absorbing each track and the pacing of the tracks and all of it. And I feel cheated from that because I heard each song, obviously, as it was released. I heard some of them in concert twice uh, in Philadelphia and Washington before hearing them come out. And even the ordering wasn't a surprise because of the the way they were released. So to me, it's a disappointing experience listening to this album for the first time. I've appreciated it more listening to it a second and third time, but I don't feel like I had that full album experience. And as novel and I guess fun as it was to hear several tracks throughout the year, 
Uh, on the whole, I'm pretty down about it. Fair enough. Thomas, what do you think? Okay, so I'm going to take David's words and just mix them up a little bit so it <laughs> sounds like I'm original. You'll be the dark side mix of David's answers, whereas David no, I'll the be the bright br- side. I'll be the bright side. Ah, He's the dark okay. side. Ah, got it. Okay. I was thinking the same thing. I was a little bit less harsh on the way. I wouldn't say I hated it. I thought it was very, well, I think like you said, it was very novel. I think it was a fun experiment to go through each month and to hear, say, okay, what's going to come up next? And obviously it gave us content for a show a month every year, uh, every month. So that was, you know, I think we've had more shows this year than we have any other year prior. And it was Good to see, like, okay, how he's going to release the artwork. It was nice to have him speak a little bit about it. But having said that, I also did feel a little cheated because I do love getting an album. And maybe I've heard one track before, maybe two if they were released previously or or in the old days as singles on the radio. Uh, And just setting aside some time, putting the album on and not knowing what I'm going to get and just going through that and hearing things and um, getting surprised and hearing things and, you know, making me think. And I would say, yeah, so it was a little bit anticlimactic when this came out because it's like, great. I now I have the packaging. I can go through it, read the liner notes. I, I do really love the production of the, the CD. I'm sure the album and the Blu-ray and all that looks just as great. But yeah, once I put it on, like I knew what I was going to get. So I would hope that, he does have a follow-up to this, which he's sort of been hinting at. He doesn't do the month to month. He just maybe releases one or two tracks and then says, all right, the album's going to drop next month. Surprise. And we can all go back to being regular again. <laughs> <laughs> right. We all, we all want to return to normalcy after the past few years. I, I feel, I definitely hear what both of you are saying about things. I, I both liked it, Tom, for many of the reasons that you talked about one of which was obviously kind of having a structure for doing podcasts these this past year, uh, which was a lot of fun. I both liked and didn't like the mystery of, is there even actually going to be a real album release about this? <laughs> because I felt like it wasn't until maybe about three quarters of the way through the year when it was like, oh yeah, and the album's going to come out in December, which again, maybe was predictable 12 songs, 12 months that it would come out at the end of all of this. But it just seemed a little kind of like it would have been nice to know the plan ahead of time. Kind of like we're going to do one track a month and then album at the end and it'll have these type of mixes on it. Like we weren't even sure at the beginning with this inside with this bright side and dark side mix. If there was going to be a third, like here's the Peter Gabriel official mix that's going to be the album or are these mm-hmm. inside are these bright and dark sides, just bonus tracks really, but they really are the album the way it is. It also changed the experience that that we have as listeners with with the tracks, because for me, when I'm listening to an album, every album, even the best albums, which we largely, I think, would agree on, that there are still some tracks that are stronger than others. Of course, and yeah. there are weaker tracks, even if they're not weak, they're still weaker. When you have an album and you're and you're listening to it and there's there's momentum and there's pacing, um, those weaker tracks somehow fit in, they're palate cleansers. When you have a month to listen to a song, and I'll just name one for me, Playing for Time, not one of my favorites on the album. It's just a little bit slower. It's kind of a father-son remake type for me. Having a whole month to listen to that kind of dialed down my enthusiasm for 
for the next track and for the whole album. So again, I, I think I would appreciate it more if it were part of a package rather than something that I had a full four weeks to bask in. Got it. I I found that since I've gotten the album, I've enjoyed listening to it as an album a ton more than the one-off tracks here and there. Like a hundred percent. But but quick question: Do you think you're enjoying it more because you're already familiar with the music, and now the album experience is letting you get deeper? Or if this was all brand new, do you think you'd be enjoying it as much now? I actually might be enjoying it more if it was all brand new. <laughs> I'm still enjoying it a lot, sure. But I think it's just that experience with like, yeah, there's the ebb and flow of tracks, and you kind of need that segue from one track into the other because I mean it's all meticulously planned, the running order, all that, and and where songs are, the pacing. And yeah, th th there are some slower spots, some weaker spots, but in the whole context of the album itself, like I just love hearing it start to finish. And it's become so much more enjoyable that like I kind of put all the stuff that happened these past 11 months, you know, I forget about it. Right. Like this is, this is where I'm at now. Like I love putting this on and just going for the ride from Panopticon all the way to Live and Let Live. And I'm like, I think it's a better album than Up. I enjoy it a lot more than Up. I, I would agree with that. I think also that for me, since I've gotten the, the actual CD Blu-ray release, I have not listened to the Bright Side, Dark Side mixes. I've been listening to the Surround mix. That to me is giving me the new experience of listening to it from start to finish, soup to nuts, you know, beginning to end, however you want to think about it that is different enough for me to give me kind of the juice of saying, oh, here's the new album release. And it does flow a lot better. And even some of the songs that I was a little bit eh about are, they, they haven't risen to the top, but I appreciate them a bit more. Four Kinds of Horses specifically is what I'm thinking <laughs> of in that, in that one. I was going to agree with that. Yeah, that was very much an eh track, I think, when we heard it and still isn't, it's it's not in the bottom third of it's probably in the middle of the pack now. And I'm like, oh, this is a better song than my initial listen was giving it credit for. Maybe just because, A, I'm actually sitting and listening to these in order and kind of in context of everything. And mm -hmm. it and it makes a bit more sense that way. To I me, think I'm so. I think I'm overanalyzing my own experience with this because <laughs> welcome um, to the podcast world. That's what <laughs> I know. It's, it's kind of what we do. The. I think that I consciously, and this is the part I don't know whether it was conscious at the time, but I think that I consciously was not obsessing about each track. I would listen to it and, and I would listen to it a few times, but I wasn't doing the thing where I would turn it up to the maximum volume that my brain can take and listening to all the nuance behind the the main lines. Maybe it was not conscious. I I just don't know. But this time listening through the album, and I'm hearing you mentioned four kinds of horses. You know, I heard all kinds of nuance in the intro and some things going on in the background that I didn't hear when it was released. And I certainly didn't hear in concert when I appreciated it less.
which I honestly didn't. Yeah, David just kind yeah. of looked at me bug eyes. I personally <laughs> don't see it, but I could see why he sees it. Like, I think that for a more casual fan, maybe that's but somebody who knows Gabriel on a semi-deep level, maybe that's what it brings out to him. I think for me, it's what what is it like? I think it's it's pursuing the sound of Up, which was the 2001 album, right? Um, I always get Up and Us. 2002. Confused. 2002, yes. It takes that sound, that production style that Gabriel actually has been working with for, for the last 20 years. And really, to me, it's that defined essence of overall a better package of songs. Although I think there might be a song or two on uh, up that I like better than maybe anything on here it might also just be longevity of living with that music for longer. I think that this, th those two albums are kind of bookends for me 20 years apart, but maybe just because it's also the in quote unquote, the most recent album also. I maybe a little bit of mixture of some of the positiveness of so, and some of the deeper more thoughtful tracks of us kind of mixed in together. And I think maybe the reason why I do like this better than up is that it does have some joy to it. Mm -hmm. I mean, no pen intended, but like I thought <laughs> up was just kind of like a, except for a, a, an odd song here and there, it just seemed like a very, there wasn't much happiness on like that bleak. Album. I don't yeah. want to, I don't know, but like here there's olive tree, IO road to joy. I mean, he just seems like he's in a different place. And I know that during probably the, remixing and and the recording of up i know it was, took place in the year after 9-11 so i'm sure everybody's head was in a different place overall so i think a lot of the material music books movies that came out in the year after 9-11 were a little bleak <laughs> yeah, right. to say the least but i mean give him 20 to 21 years on 21 years more experience of age and looking back at his life i think this is the album that he would produce at 72 years old. Yeah. And I, I think it's great. Yeah. I'm very, I'm very happy with this album overall. Do either of you have this, the surround sound, the inside mix? Did you get that? Or I, I do think that to me is kind of the definitive version of it, just because I am a sucker for surround mixes, as I've talked about before. And it just does feel really detailed to me. And it's like, I, I don't know. I put both the bright side and dark side mixes on my computer so that when I just do random play of music, those are what will come up. But if I'm going to sit down and put this album on, it's, I don't want to say always, but it's almost always going to be that surround sound mix that I throw on. That's how I, I did. I listened to the bright side and dark side and a couple of them track by track to, to listen yeah, for the differences. Sure. And honestly, on most tracks, I was expecting, I don't know why, but I was expecting with some of these mixes that there might be like a, a Trent Reznor, like almost remake, <laughs> right? Like a total mixing of the elements and changing up the, a, a lot more than a subtle, subtle point here and there, but it was almost always subtle points. Uh, now, some of them, clearly the dark side mix is better. I think objectively, I don't think it's a matter of opinion, like an <laughs> just sounds so much better in the dark side mix to me, but like you. Once I listened to the, what, what do you want to call it? The third mix inside? The inside is mix is what it says on the disc. Yeah. 
Um, I did. I did like that more. You know, things moved. You got you know, vocals in both channels. Sometimes front and back moving pretty well, even in in AirPods. Mm-hmm. So I definitely think that that's the definitive. And maybe that was his point, right? Maybe it was we'll tease you with these bright and dark side mixes because we're releasing them early. But the album itself really is this. Now that's a bit hard because of how it's available and how it's being sold and all that. But at least on Apple Music, the inside mix is is right there and available. I I actually like that in some ways doing something like this says there is no definitive version. The definitive version is really whatever you want it to be. And right now it may be the inside mix. And then maybe as you listen a year from now, it'll be, oh, I like this. The bright side mix of this, the dark side of that, you know, it's uh, or the inside mix of this one. You know, it's something that can be a bit more fluid. And I think that's an idea I'm reading into Gabriel's mind at this point. That seems to me that he's always liked that that ambiguity in art. And I think this plays into his liking of that. But isn't that I, mean, I think that's a, Is that bit, a cheat? <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. he's, you know, 21 years to make another full regular studio album that's a lot of time to tinker. That's a lot of time to think exactly what do I want to get right. And then to say, you know what, it's all relative. And I'm going to go three, I'm going to throw three at you because even after, you know, longer than some of my fans listening to this have been alive, um, <laughs> I still can't, I still can't get it up to decide which version I'm going to release. I, I, I find it a bit of a cop out. Yeah, but maybe, maybe that's also the perspective of a 72 year old going, ah, what does it matter anymore? You know, let, let, let me, let me put it out this way and people can live in the ambiguity. Like, I'm not saying that it's right or that it's something I agree with, or I wouldn't prefer a mix with the stamp of Peter Gabriel saying, this is what I liked, but mm-hmm. it's all coming out under his name. So he likes it all. If he didn't like it, he wouldn't be putting it out. I'm okay with it being kind of a, an album in a triptych type of situation where each one is a little bit different than the previous one. And you can just kind of take it as you were. So I find that fascinating with it. Just again, this approach of releasing this. I mentioned liking four kinds of horses more on this kind of in context than I did as an individual track. For either of you guys, have there been tracks that have increased in liking for you, that have decreased, you know, anything that's jumped out at you is as now that we have the package as a whole that you're enjoying more hearing it in context. I think I said this when we talked about live and let live, but I was, you know, my thoughts were bolstered by the fact when I was listening to start to finish that, that that's a great ending track. I love the way that it kind of sums up like where things are in the world right now. You can't really hold on to grudges. Let's try to live and let live. If we all try to, you know, go eye for an eye everyone's going to be blind and just the fact that the way that that second half brings in that choir the Soweto chorus and just fades out I thought that was a, a strong way to end it and it brought to mind actually uh, take me home a little bit granted it doesn't have that sing-along that Bill did in concert but it just had that very uplifting kind of feel to it that I thought was a good way to close the album I haven't had the pleasure that the two of you have had to share your thoughts on every track as they came out and do the reflection now. So some of this, you'll just have to trust me that, uh, <laughs> that I've had changes. 
I haven't had that many changes, right? Like when I when I heard each one, I had an immediate reaction. And for the most part, those reactions have stuck. Panopticon, when it came out, I thought it was good. It's a simple, catchy chorus. Kind of seemed genetically related to me to the song he had from the movie The Veil. If you remember that song a few years ago, it has a similar kind of a vibe behind it. I think I appreciated that one more upon first listen than almost any other because it was new. It was, it was okay, this is the beginning of something, and I paid more attention to it. A few songs probably have have grown on me more with the listening. Um, I I liked the court more than I think both of you when I first heard it, and it has continued to grow on me. It's the one that I keep hearing in my head when I'm not listening to the album. Oh, okay. uh, some of the tracks are forgettable for me, but the court is the one that has really become sticky in my head. And it it just it just carries on. You said this when when we you know when you all recorded the the track by track each month and we all were listening that you know Road to Joy has some of the the lyrical pacing of Kiss That Frog and I definitely can't get that out of my head because it's there <laughs> but it's similar with Panopticon when it kicks in I think you also mentioned the the digging in the dirt you know the more I look the more I find it's got the right. same and Peter Gabriel didn't used to do that right he 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 didn't have a lot of tracks where you listened to it and said wow that's a lot like this thing that he did so that kind of surprised me that there were two two songs here that called me back just in terms of the the pacing of the lyrics to the same album which was us even though i agree with you you two that certainly at least the four or five tracks remind me more of up because of the tenor and the theme some of them I don't know. Olive Tree, when I heard it, I thought, okay, you know, here's something with a little pep, here's something with a little energy. And the more I listen to it, the less I like it. I think I liked it more because of that variety more than I do inherently as a song. But again, only with a few listens, uh, that may change again after a few more. Mm -hmm. It's funny because when when these were coming out month by month, I think Tom and I, our refrain for a while was, when are we done it yet a peppy song? When are we done it yet something that's a bit more energy? Yeah. And then when we did, it was like, oh, here we go. And and now the songs do make more sense in context. Mm-hmm. The flow of this album, I think, goes really well. But I still am kind of like Olive Tree as a specific one is is an interesting little song because it's it's very it is upbeat. But it also has it's a weird subject matter. It's part of this bigger story that Gabriel's doing about this guy, a person who's locked into their brain type of thing. So we don't know where it where that sits in context of its story, too. It's interesting. I, I like that one. I also I like it, but also because I do I do 
kind of sing supper's ready lyrics along to when it's like and it's hey babe with your guardian eyes so blue don't you know our love is true and i just kind of like make it fit a little bit in there and it makes me smile when it happens and it's oh i've cut the water I don't think that was Gabriel's intent, but it makes me happy that I can do that. The only section of the album where the flow seems to be a little off for me, because I do love how it's, you know, it starts with Panopticon. Panopticon, you get a little bit of a weirdness with the chord, a very straight melodic playing for time. Then you get the peppy IO, et cetera. Is the run of songs from Love Can Heal this is home and and still that yeah. kind of brings the the pacing too slow down for me like yeah. everything before has been like an up a middle an up a down an up and like and then you have that run where it's like all right i'm now i'm kind of just waiting for live and let live to come along but, but i'll get through this uh, if i make it through these three songs i've got the reward of live and let live and not to say that those are bad songs and still didn't grow on me anymore listening to it in the context and it did on its uh, by its own but that's just where the only where maybe they could have stuck in a higher pace song the only detraction in this in the track listing for me the ordering it's interesting that you talk about that stretch when i was listening to this album yesterday when i was i forget if it was when i was taking notes or just kind of doing a listen to get kind of involved in it in it again i got to you know that love can heal uh and then i was like what comes after love can heal i know yep. all these songs and i was drawing a blank until this is home started and then i was like oh yeah of course it's this is home but for a good minute or two i had a total blank that i forgot that song existed and i generally liked that <laughs> song but it's it's the lower middle of the pack for me it's just kind of ho-hum for for my point of view i'm um, with you um yeah. I'm, I'm with you on both of you on both of those points tom this may be the most we've ever agreed uh, because <laughs> I'm, almost word for word that I'll, even olive tree doesn't work as well for me but the the pace change works but after that it's almost it's it's almost just a, a fade to the end because uh live and let live just doesn't work as well for me and i found that yeah, I think This Is Home is the one that works best for me in that oh, okay. series because his vocals are so good. We talked about this when we saw mm -hmm. him live, right? And it's not fair to contrast him with Phil. They've had different experiences and everything, but he's older than Phil, right? He's 73 or so now. Just a, just a year, so it's it's not a huge difference. But I mean, live, it sounds very, very good. But on this track, he's doing some stuff with his voice that just amazed me. And that that works for me. I like listening to it because of that. But that whole stretch, it's it's just different for me than the than the back and forth and the variety and the uh, some of the callbacks earlier on. But Mike, with with what you say about not remembering it, mm -hmm. for me, love can heal. I think is a little easier to remember just because it has the the singer. Um, she's the one from the Back to Front tour, and I can't remember her name. Jenny Abramson, I think she's oh, she's sure. the one who does the um the the voice on that one, and and that's memorable. But otherwise, that track and this is home, and still 
and then earlier in the album so much these are all tracks that i recognize because i've just been listening to it but i'm not going to go back to just for them and they will probably be eminently forgettable going forward compared to some of the high points on the album and there are some serious high points for me on some of these tracks okay what's what's your top three then what give give us your top three high points panopticon is a good one and it's good because of something we haven't talked about yet which is i find that and some bands do this better than others some artists do this better than others but i think peter gabriel is one of the best at his studio albums um, not necessarily the soundtracks, which are somewhat outside of his control, sure. but the studio albums, the opening track, making a statement for the album, right? So you've got Moribund the Burgermeister, which says, <laughs> yes. all right, it's wide open. You're just going to get everything on this. On the Air has more of that kind of punk rock feel. Intruder is an amazing introduction to the different sound palette of uh, the third album. Rhythm of the Heat captures security so well red rain sets up so the come talk to me is the theme of of us and then even darkness which which i love a lot more than you do tom and i think you too mike but i (laughs) i I like darkness i absolutely love it and i think that's one of the high points of the album and then here panopticom really does give you some some depth and some interesting things that I'm not sure I was prepared for. I thought that there would be a whole lot more of just the the piano pieces that he's moved to more in recent years relative to those kind of uh, nuanced pieces. So, so the first track, I think, is one that I'll continue to listen to. The Court is probably the stickiest. It's it's different. It's, it's, it's Peter Gabriel quirky in a way that he hasn't done as much as he used to do almost every track, album to album. IO is good but I will keep it from being in my top three or four just because my God, Peter, you know, more than 20 years on this album and you couldn't improve on stuff coming out, stuff going in. It just feels, (laughs) it just feels like we needed a better payoff for that on this track that he's been hinting at for decades. And then I would say road to joy, maybe, right. I, I, I like the pace. I like the fact that it's, that it's different. I wouldn't have guessed that this was the one track that was co-produced by Eno. Mm. Um, He contributes synths and percussion and programming to other songs that I think comes out. But as as the ultimate production song, I'm not sure I would have pointed to this one, but maybe that's why I like it. It's got a little bit of some weird sounds in there that that make it fun for me. Oh, before we get to our top three, sure, we could... Check the uh, mailbox. Yeah, let's uh, since we're we're jumping around a little bit, but let's do some viewer mail. And then something spoke, and this is what it said to me. You got mail, baby. Yeah. Bill Malonides, probably gets that wrong. Said "Road to Joy" was his favorite. It felt like a real high energy song, not the typical brooding, pretentious music that Peter has made post eighties. <laughs> <laughs> we all That's love a, the pretentious music, though. That's nice. A- Nice backhanded compliment. Exactly. Uh, Alex Talander, nice friend, friend of the show. Of course. He says, I become so attached to a lot of these songs because I've gotten to enjoy them in depth each month over 2023, but I've got to go with IO. The chorus is so warm right. and uplifting, and the lyrics are so creative. He goes, and I disagree with David with the stuff coming in, coming out. <laughs> I, I don't know how he knew you were going to say that. That's right. We have psychic <laughs> listeners, right? That's right. Ian Barber. At the moment, Four Kinds of Horses is really growing on me. Of all the songs I wasn't sold on at first that impressed me in the live setting, 
at the Detroit show, Four Kinds of Horses, really was the one that made me have to revisit that song again. And it's one I look forward to listening to. Interesting. Good. I definitely liked it better live than I had liked it in the studio. But now it's at least on that initial listen. So I hear what you're saying. that, And I'm glad that the live versions can get you to refocus on the studio versions. I think that's always a good process. I'll just try to hit on some of the yeah, different sure. favorite tracks. Tom Oaks says it shifted around a few times since listening to the album for the first time, but Olive Tree is probably my favorite at the moment. Mm -hmm. The contrast between the deep verses and the bright choruses make this song really stand out for me, but a week from now, it will most likely be completely different. <laughs> That's the fun about this album being so new, is that it really is kind of an opportunity for there to be a lot of shifting as things go on. When we when we talked about your poll later on, I'll be curious if we were to do a poll a year or two years from now, how similar it would be to people's impressions at the end of this at the end of this year. John of McCullough, as opposed to the other John of <laughs> John of Pennsylvania wherever. or wherever. I voted Panopticon because it's the one I can sing off the top of my head. The others are all good, but they start to blend together. Mm-hmm. Phil C. from London, his former drummer, <laughs> is playing for time. I had to pull over to the side of the road listening to this song twice while driving to the driving to work. It hit really hard for some reason. Going to miss hearing new songs every 28 days. <laughs> <laughs> I won't, but uh, yeah. <laughs> right. We got it. We got to get a break sometime. So I saw so some interview uh, on that point. I saw some interview with Peter recently, and I wish I saved the reference, but he made some comment about building on what he'd said years ago about, you know, I've got 150 songs stacked up. <laughs> right, yeah. And he said, you know, it's not going to be 21 years. You know, I'm going to have another album coming out really fast because I've got, and of course I don't believe him. He's done the Lucy <laughs> with the football thing, taking it away yeah. from us as we run up and kick for a long, long time on many albums. But I do feel like this might give him the momentum, if you will, that if he's been through the act of processing and making, <laughs> making choices, at least down to three uh, versions of each song that, <laughs> Maybe he does have an idea in mind for, if you will, a sequel to this, because thematically there's probably going to be some similarities. I would love it if he just did like a Beyonce and dropped an album as a surprise. Like yes. yeah. all of a sudden you wake up and there's a new Peter Gabriel album in March of 2024 in your inbox or <laughs> wherever you get your music from. And that would blow me away. Okay. It's here's the mind blowing <laughs> idea is 2023. It's, you know, after an ungodly amount of time, it's one song every month just to torture us. 2024, <laughs> if he's got 150 plus songs, you know, it's not like Prince, but he's getting there. Yeah. He drops an album every month. There you go. I vote for that. Wow. Second time we agree. He could basically <laughs> triple his discography in one no year. Kidding. So yeah. that's a, that's the way that's the way to do it. And I do wonder if it's if him wanting to pick up the pace is also a realization that he's not getting any younger. And so he literally can't wait 21 years until the next album because he, he'd be then in his early nineties. And while there are some good genes on his side with his parents, both being so long lived, you know, it's, you don't want to put off till tomorrow what you can do today or whatever. I think that's the saying. So, but yeah, I would say, well, hopefully the reception that he got in his shows in yeah. Europe and the U.S. gives him some excitement and some momentum and, and keeps it going that he knows that like people still want to hear 
his music. They want to hear new music. And this is something that like, you know, it wasn't like he put out these shows and people were booing and calling for the old stuff. Every other song, like people really enjoyed it. They want to hear this. So hopefully that will put a little stick in his craw or whatever they call it. (laughs) And that's what I'm, I'm happy that. And I think I talked about it even in our, in our tour episode that it was, I think in New York, I might've heard one comment during the break where it was like, what is all this stuff type of thing? But it was kind of like out of 10,000 people, 20,000 people, there's always going to be some people who are like, I just want to hear the hits. I just want to hear whatever. And he pretty much played the hits that people would be familiar with and half new stuff. So I think that it was a way of saying, I'm going to give you a lot of new stuff that you're not familiar with. But you're also going to get Sledgehammer. You're going to get Don't Give Up. You're going to get, you know, Digging in the Dirt, these tracks that are highlights of his live set. Again, we could kind of quibble about what exactly he chose to be those highlights. But, you know, the idea, I think, is strong. I realize I've sounded negative on a few points here. And that's not how I really feel about the whole album and the whole experience. But I'm going to put one more out there. You wouldn't be be here (laughs) if you didn't really love Peter Gabriel and talking about this stuff. Or I think this is kind of a yes or no thing. This overall impression of this album is pretty positive for you, I think. Correct? It it is. And I'm I'm quibbling because um, because I expect so much and because I know... And that's what we do here. So, yeah. As long as I've been musically aware, I have turned to Peter Gabriel. And for so for me, there's a lot to live up to. And so when I say, well, this track just didn't work for me and these Mm -hmm. lyrics weren't as good as they could have been, because I know he's capable of doing absolutely incredible things musically, lyrically. And so it's a positive thing, but it, it comes across as negative, just like just like this will. As we discussed at the show a bit, and as I discussed with a couple of other listeners to the show at uh, Washington, I just felt like he overplayed the new stuff. And I'm going to be contradictory here because I I like music played live. And Mm -hmm. I think these tracks worked for me better because I have heard them live in most cases. But I wasn't looking for more hits. I wasn't upset that Steam wasn't played (laughs) or... I don't even know it was big time. I think it was played. Yes, it was. Yeah. There were a few other what you would call hits, the shock the monkeys that we didn't get. And I'm perfectly fine with that. I've heard it enough at enough concerts over the years. I really wanted Intruder, right? Mm-hmm. I really wanted, you know, some of the deeper cuts, San Jacinto again, which people, some people don't want to hear that again. But there were some tracks that were not hits, but I wanted to hear them again yeah, because sure. I'm not sure he will tour again. And instead I got and still. Right. Which I'm like, that's, that's a real, that's a real way to burn five or six minutes when you could have put something else in there that would have captured the people who have been with you for decades. So again, that's the negative me. The positive me is the live version of most of these songs was good enough that when I listened to the album, I'm like, oh yeah, I had this emotion. I had this feeling when I was listening to it at one of the shows I went to. And I think I give them more of a chance because of that so i can't totally knock his decision to put so many new songs in the live set i hope when he tours hopefully he'll tour again maybe do a second leg in 2024 that he pairs it down to maybe the five strongest songs from this album that'll leave him another half hour 35 minutes to play san jacinto to play intruder to play on the air who knows like but reach back into the catalog i think he played 11 out of the 12 songs. So if you even just cut that in half, that gives you so much more space to 
dive back into some of the deeper cuts that longtime fans who've been with him for his whole career would love to hear. It'll be fascinating to see. I think we will get at least one more Gabriel tour from him, whether it's in 2024, 2025, who knows? But I do think it feels like that there's some sort of momentum that he's creating with getting this album out and then showing interest in doing more musical work so soon after the release of this album that touring is maybe not number one on his list of things to do, but doing like a month tour in the U.S., a month tour in Europe and kind of getting these shows out there. You know, this this is a reasonable way for a 70 a guy in his early to mid 70s to put himself out there. I don't need to see big time again. Again, whip out a and then I don't remember is the one I always go to. That's a track I would love to hear, you know, or something else from, you know, Sledgehammer. While I've heard it so many times before, I would never say not to play it because it is such a fun, crowd pleasing song. And there is something about having a song that gets an arena full of people on their feet that is part of the fun of going to an arena show with Peter Gabriel type of thing. I don't want every track to be that way, but I want some of the tracks to be that way. I still, you had mentioned Come Talk to Me before. That's a track that mm. I would love to see played over and over again. I only saw it the once on the uh, on the tour back in 94. 493 whenever that was when, yep. when he toured that album so and i think he was doing it as an encore in 2003 but not at the show i went to because he changed it to Beto <laughs> for that show and i'm like ah you know again Beto's a great song but i've seen it before i would have loved to see come talk to me again but mm -hmm. anyway i would say that i have two tracks that are not for me on this album mm -hmm. and they are so much and and still they're both fine they're not bad songs. They're just not. And David's like, ah, oh, maybe they're. Uh, but no, I don't think I don't think they're bad. I just right. think that they are. I can and I hate to say this, but they kind of felt like filler. They felt like the palate cleansers because yeah. they weren't. Even now, I can't remember yeah. the details of them, and I have just listened to this album three times <laughs> in the last right. couple of weeks. Yeah, well, so much has some lyrical bits that I really like in it, but just. Overall, as a song, it's just it's it's not there for me. And and still, again, he wrote it for for, for his mother on his pa on her passing and everything. And I get the emotion behind it, but it doesn't give me the emotion that I want from that. Track. And to give him credit, and still does have that like the odd key to it. Like it's interesting <laughs> to listen to because he's not yes. singing it just as a straight simple chord piano song. So. It is a little more interesting, even though I, I'm having a hard time coming up with some of the exact words from it. I can't listen to it now without hearing Tom's impression of that song and the middle bit of it, of the kind of and the food and the and the and the warmth of your. Yeah, that, <laughs> that, see, that, I that, I can't hear it without hearing from uh, up. Oh, my head sounds like that. Oh, sure, right, yeah, because it's the same the mm -hmm. same thing there. Let me ask you guys. Something I know you haven't talked about yet Ooh. because we didn't we didn't have it before the album itself. Talk about the cover and how it strikes you. Thank you for bringing that up because I, this is one of the Gabriel covers that I can say I don't really enjoy. If I were ranking them, it might be at the bottom just because I don't think it looks very good. <laughs> it's like I I like the I, I like the idea of these hands kind of coming out of nowhere, but it just to me looks like a bad Photoshop. 
It's like it doesn't do anything artistically for me. That's my quick thing about it is that I just don't I don't care for it. Tom? I think it's fine. I like it. I it's not I say it's middle of the road. I like it better than up as the album itself. And it's kind of got that I don't know. I do like his look. I like the way that you almost have to look at it a couple of times. You look at it quickly, like, oh, he's got his hands up to his face. And then you look at it a little bit closer. You're like, oh, okay, this is a little bit deeper. There's more to it, which is, I I liked it. I thought it was very, I thought it was very effective. And I will be the positive guy for a change in this episode. <laughs> it is it is right up there with my favorites of all of his covers. Oh, wow. um, okay. Because, you know, obviously Phil Collins did the face covers and yeah, made a thing sure. out of it, different angles and all this, and, you know, and then remade his own covers that way. But Peter Gabriel's covers, you know, you kind of have that theme too. There's, there, there's always the, had his face on it in one right. way, shape, or form. Yeah. There's a face element. And some of them are just interesting pictures, like so, and I think us with, with the flourish mm -hmm. there, but they're just okay. But you go back to something like Melt, the third album, mm -hmm. you've got something iconic about about the face, which all humans inherently recognize from basically from birth. There's something about the human face. And when you do something to it like that, it just gives you this, this weird feeling. And this cover does that because, like you said, Tom, when you look at it, it's the hands on the face, almost like you know grief or, or maybe just thoughtfulness. But then you look at it and some of the fingers aren't really there, right? It's a painted or a see-through thing, which gets to some of the, you know, stuff going out, stuff going in kind of things there. And I'll see. It made sense. That's why the lyrics are there. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm back to it. <laughs> I just feel like it's a really arresting image. And it made me think, it, made, it took me back immediately to his third album in a way that I, that I haven't from any other album cover. That might be, this might be the only reason, like, I... I didn't get the Blu-ray. I got the just the double disc, the mm -hmm. bright side, dark side. But I'm Amazon Music. They have the inside mix, so that's where I listen to that there. But for the cover, this is one reason why you know the the vinyl would have been nice to have because a lot of times I'll take an album and I'll I have them hanging up in one of the rooms here. I'll swap in the vinyls every couple months just to give it a new look. And this is one that would have looked really good in a frame and. Uh, coincidentally, right now I have Melt in a frame because oh. uh, it's such a striking, it's art. Yeah, mm -hmm. and exactly. It, it makes you stop and stare and think about it. And that's what this cover does. And so I wish, you know, if there's maybe I can get the vinyl somewhere cheap, but and just use it yeah. for the artwork. But yeah, sure. that's I would definitely hang this up. I have to admit a little bit of a frustration just that the, the booklet does not have lyrics to it Oof. either. So it has the artwork, you know, the different kind of monthly kind of piece of art for each song, which I get is something that Peter really likes and I just don't care about. So it's not, I get that if people get something from it, more power to them, but I'd rather, instead of having a little piece of art in the booklet, I'd rather have the lyrics to the song there. But, you know, I'll agree, I'll agree with you on one, one side of that, Mike, which is, I'm not a huge fan and I'm sure I would self-contradict myself because I'm sure there's some I can think of, but I'm not a huge fan when artists fill up their, their album notes with other people's artwork that it's like, no, that's not why I'm buying this. I'm not buying this so that you can introduce me to some, now that's ridiculous because album covers are rarely done by the artists themselves, but <laughs> you get the point. Right. On the other hand, we're not in the eighties, man. Like 
in the <laughs> 80s, if you got an album and the lyrics weren't in it, you had to sit there and listen to it over and over again and try to figure out what exactly is David Byrne saying in Burning Down the <laughs> House. Like some of that is is hard to figure out the first time without a lyric sheet. But now any of these songs, I can get you the lyrics in about two Oh, times, sure. Right. right? So I'm okay with artists not doing lyrics in albums now because they are just so available in a way that they weren't when we were first buying albums. I'll, I'll send you that link, Mike. Uh, you know, the, let, <laughs> let me Google that for you. Oh, like, yes. Fine, <laughs> fine. I am hoist on my own petard this way. But but I just like to be able to have them all in the one little package so that when I'm listening to this tracks and I'd be like, oh, guitar, David Rhodes, piano, Peter Gabriel type of thing. The lyrics are right there also. And I know that sometimes there might be publishing issues about this, different musical, different uh, music industry issues with actually printing lyrics and things like that. But Gabriel owns all of his copyrights and everything. Can I follow up on that, Mike? Because of course you can. You just, you just threw David Rhodes out there. And I got to say, listening to this album, um, <laughs> I'm, I've been a huge Tony Levin fan since before I knew he existed. Mm -hmm. And this album, even on the songs I don't love as much, like This Is Home and others, my God, you know, it's just, it's it's brilliant work, sometimes brilliant in being understated, but it's really well done. I do like the guitar work almost 100%. One thing that surprised me, and maybe it shouldn't, because Peter Gabriel's never been one to bring on a thousand you know, guest musicians. Um, he tends to have his core and then he brings in people for particular tasks. Mm -hmm. But I kind of would have liked something like, you know, the Stuart Copeland playing the hi-hat on this track <laughs> or sure. bringing Phil in for one song or some other artists. And I, I felt like it was a missed opportunity. Again, after 20 plus years, you've got people who would love to come in and just either do background vocals or to to contribute a, a part to it. And I was hoping for a little bit more of that. At least we got some Eno, which is nice. <laughs> sure. Yeah, I, I think that it's, there is that aspect of things where in a way, the music on these tracks is kind of anonymous. Like, it's not like that, like you talked about Tony Levin again, he, all the music is excellent on here. It's well-played, well-performed, well-recorded, but it's not like there's, I don't want this to sound bad, but I actually mean this as a compliment. The personality of the musicians is not coming through on this track, on these tracks. It is a Peter Gabriel album. I think that's okay. Like there, it's not like Tony Levin is there to do a wicked bass solo or something. And that's his purpose in life. No, he, his, he's there to support the music as best as he can. And he does that without being flashy or out there in your face about things all the stuff here on this album fits together with the music and with the songs really well maybe that's a better way of saying it, is that these songs feel like that they were you know carved out of stone somewhere revealing the music behind it the players while it's nice to know that you know who played what on the tracks it almost in some ways doesn't matter. Like you talked about being complimentary to David Rhodes. There's maybe twice on this album where there's a guitar that sound, uh, sounds obviously like a guitar. There's a lot of guitar on here, but it's not necessarily, you know, strumming an acoustic type of thing. So, and I think there was actually a weird little bit where there was, and I'm like, how often do you actually hear that on a Gabriel album? <laughs> um, not much. So 
So I think that's that's interesting. Like I I like having the credits and I like knowing who played what. And like on Road to Joy or whatever it was, there was a little synth line where I was like, I wonder if that's the Eno bit right there, or if that's Peter playing it, or someone else doing things. But you, you, some of this is, you know, unless you are able to dive into the actual multi-tracks, you're never going to know these things. So, but I will say, and maybe this is a segue into the last part of this, unless Tom, if you have anything else to add at this point, I was going to start kind of going towards the pole and our favorite tracks. Come to the pole. Oh, yes. We're be, <laughs> being attracted to the pole like no tomorrow. We've been, This is a pole that's been developing, growing, has been teased all year long. <laughs> and so, Tom. Do, <laughs> You're do, chafing. I, and, I, and, that's, and I always forget, do we do our favorites first? Or we do, do our do favorites first? first. Got it. Okay. Who would like to talk about their favorite track on the album first. I'll say mine okay. because it just underscores how David and I are listening to different albums. <laughs> of course. <laughs> mine was playing for time. There's just something about that song where it breathes. I love, you know, the bass I can hear from Tony as we were saying, you know, it's rare that like you can hear a standout. I think maybe in another song, Road to Joy, you hear the Manukachi a little bit. Olive Tree, I think you hear a little bit more of David Rhodes standing out. And this song, you hear a little bit of uh, Tony. I love the orchestration. I love that it just takes its time. And, and I just love the sentiment behind the lyrics. They're very similar a little bit to Io. I just really love it. They, but the, the second that I also love, which I also don't think you love, <laughs> David, is Io was a strong second. Oh, interesting. I think because I love the sequence of the verses where it's him young, him kind of in the middle of his life. And at the very end, he's just talking about, well, this is just how it is. You know, I'm going to be in the ground soon. I'm going to be giving back to whatever gave to me in the first place. And it was a very, he was, seemed very at home with that feeling like not, Oh, I'm so scared to death. You know what's coming. It was just like, you know, this is life. This is what happens. And it wasn't depressing. It wasn't bleak. It was just like, enjoy it. This is the life you have. So playing for time, I would be my top two Got in it. that order. Excellent. David, you're up. Tom, I will surprise you. Um, <laughs> playing for time, number one. <laughs> no, no. And, and I got to say, um, playing for time was empty for me in the concert. It it did not strike me as, I, I, I just could not get over the feeling. It's just like, you know, father, son with a slightly different theme, but it felt the same to me, mm -hmm. which he has every right to make. But his, his songs of that variety leave me flat a, a little more often than they don't. And yet, listening to this one on the album in its place on the album, it, mm -hmm. it is growing on me now. Mm -hmm. it, it, it's something that I'm coming back to more than the other slower songs like so much and, um, and still, um, but it's not up there. I, where I'll surprise you, I think is with IO is IO is in the running for me Ooh. for second place. It's one of the stronger tracks. And even though I don't like that bridge line of the stuff coming out, stuff coming in, almost everything else about that song just hits me right. It's It brings a lot together really well. So that that's up there. Panopticom is probably in that competition. Um, Road to Joy, if I'm feeling more like a single, is, <laughs> is up there. 
But all of them are in competition for second place because I may be the only person on the planet Earth who thinks the court is the definitive song on this album. Interesting. And it just sticks with me like nothing else here. And, and that's weird to say, but I can already feel that when I'm thinking about the songs that just haunt me from Peter Gabriel, going mm. back to the rhythm of the heat and San Jacinto and all of these songs across his career, the court is up there with them. It just it just hits me in that way. And it's my clear number one. Excellent. I, I do like the unique chorus of that. Like it, it kind of stops a song almost on the breaks and the court. And you're like, whoa, what just happened here? Yeah. And it, right. it, in the context of this, it's grown on me a lot. Yeah. My thing with the court is that, and I said this back, you know, both with the tour and I probably initially when we heard it is that I liked all the bits of it. I just wish they went on longer with each other because it seems very bitty to me. It's like, oh, I like this bit, which went on for another like verse. And then it it goes to and the court. And it's just like what it is. I take there. your point, but that's also yeah. why I love it. Because right, it, sure. It yep. Defies expectations. And yeah. so, so rarely on other tracks is he defying expectations that that's one where when I heard it, I, I was constantly almost physically moving like what? what He's doing that now? Mm -hmm. Why isn't he yeah. doing? Oh, because he's actually doing something different with this song. Yeah. Well, for me, from listening to this album now as a whole, the top three for me in, in order from bronze to gold. It's uh, Love Can Heal with the bronze. Oh. Road to Joy with the silver. And Tom, B-side bros playing for time, <laughs> number one with wow. the bullet. Um, wow. That song for me, oh. as, you know, it's, it's a song that on the back to front tour, Peter kind of played his demo version of it, just piano and, ton and Tony Levin on bass. No real lyrics to it yet. And I was kind of like, ah, oh, this is fine, whatever. And that bit of it on the album is good and better than it was when it was just mumbled lyrics and everything. The lyrics come on. But the end of that song, when it gets into the big part of it, it it it, it it's it's the closest it brings shivers down my back. And it's it's what I was looking for as a catharsis living listening to and still that I didn't get talking about again this past year with kind of what's done in my, in my life and everything where it's like this song is hitting me and giving me now exactly what i wanted from a song just this emotional release from it and every time i hear it it gets me a little bit more and i'm like oh i don't know if i can listen to this that much more <laughs> but just david i would say just if if that beginning part of it doesn't quite do it for you, that the last minute, minute and a half of that song, when it gets into that big, not chorus, but kind of, you know, the lyrical bit of that. And Gabriel just has his, is singing these powerful lyrics in a voice that no one else, but he can do. Mm -hmm. I'm just mm -hmm. like, Oh, this is, this is what's giving me what I wanted. And earlier this year, when we talked about that with uh, Adam Cromwell, on, on the podcast, it, it I wasn't quite sure if it was doing it for me. And now it is. Well, I do appreciate it for that reason, um, which I didn't get in the concert. I, I didn't think it it built as well. And maybe it's because I didn't have it with, with I, like Tom says, isolation, darkness, yeah. listening to it and kind maybe of thing. It, maybe it's the surround version too. Road to Joy yeah. it just makes me want to jump up and kind of groove along with it every time I hear it. It's 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 that song for me. And Love Can Heal is is just another fantastic song. 
I think, again, over time, those three may swap out for each other, just depending on the day. So much and love can, and, um, and still kind of at the bottom of the pack. Who knows? Those might move around over time, too. And then the great middle of the other seven tracks on the album, those can all shift around. You know, those are all pretty close to each other. I think that Live and Let Live is going to creep its way up over time. I think that's a track that's going to have a lot of kind of legs to it. Four Kinds of Horses, that 16 legs right there, that's going to have legs to it. <laughs> um, you know, that's something that's going to move around a lot. This is Home, that's probably in in that kind of, not in the bottom two, but maybe bottom three. It's it's not a bad song. I like it, but it's fine. But Playing for Time. So, Tom, when you said Playing for Time, I was like, all right. I'm going to save this and let David go first so that we can space this out a little bit. So, <laughs> but yeah, but this has been, you know, this has been a, a really fun year to talk about all of this stuff. And again, you know, music can help you get through a lot of crap in your life. And that's what doing these podcasts and talking about these tracks has kind of helped. I can say helped me personally get through a lot of stuff this year. And so the two of you listeners out there, I hope that this music and us talking about this and blathering on about it like silly idiots can uh, help you all get through this too, get through whatever you're getting through too. Mike, here's the spin I'll put on that, which is, mm -hmm. you know, you're wrong about what the best song is, but you're wrong for the best <laughs> damn reasons I've ever heard. And I emotionally appreciate that. And I'm you know, willing to go along with you for that reason alone. I appreciate that. So I have the David stamp of approval. <laughs> That's for right. This, so. so what did, what did the listeners think, Tom? Do yes. we, did we get a lot of votes on this poll? Tom shows you his poll. Well, we didn't get a lot of votes. We did, we get a good number, like maybe about 120. That's uh, pretty good. I think I just because so, yeah. usually we have these open for about two weeks. I think this was just went up on monday and given what's uh, happened to social media platforms yes. and response <laughs> yeah. rates that's incredible yeah but some of the results weren't surprising uh there were a few ties in there we'll start with the tie for last place coming each with one vote and less than one percent were this is home and and still okay so i, I think that kind of that's kind of consistent know, with the three yeah. of us i think we'd probably put those all near the bottom Next highest on the list with two votes and about 2% of the vote was so much. Mm. Again, another one that, you know, Agreed. we kind of figured it did grow on me a little bit. I think because yeah. of its placement, when I'm listening to it, it's not as bad as when it came out. I'm like, I've heard this song before released already this year in a different format. It is hard to see any other song being in the bottom three as easily as those three they yeah. they just don't bring right. as much as the others so i'm i think in this case the wisdom of crowds is real but i'll also say and compliment all this that for those of you the the four or five of you who voted on those tracks if those are the songs that do it for you 100 <laughs> percent more power to you on that because the whole point of music is that it touches us all in different ways and if it gives you what you need at this time in your life and it's your number one track I'm not going to I'm not going to take that away from you. So more power to you. Coming up one slot higher on the list uh with four votes and three and a half percent was Live and Let Live. Okay. Which I thought would score higher, but again it's the last song released. It's a last song on the album, so maybe people it just not hasn't had the time to marinate with listeners yet. Give it another year, I bet yes. that'll be higher, so. <laughs> 
Now we go into the next place, which has a tie with five votes each and 4.2% was a tie with Panopticom and the court. Oh, Both okay. tied. Now we have some ties here. So one, two, three, four, five. Now we go into the top five. Okay. With nine votes, 7.6% was Love Can Heal. Mm-hmm. The next two are tied. 11 votes, this is for fourth place, is IO with 9.4%. Mm. Tied for third is Olive Tree and Road to Joy. Interesting. Okay. So it looks like now the, the, these runs, second, sorry, third and fourth place, all three songs are like up, happy songs. Yep. Then we get into the top two. Mm-hmm. Number two with 26 votes, four kinds of horses. Wow. Really? Yeah. And with 27 votes, just beating out, yeah. beating the four, beating the four kinds of horses <laughs> was playing for time with 23%. So four kinds of horses and playing for time are the top two tracks by a landslide, really. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Those yeah. like not even, you know, four kinds of horses had twice as many as wow. the one below it yeah and i'm not sure four kinds of horses won't get into the top you know it's probably in that competition for number two for me because it has grown on me so much at the concert i thought it was a dud one of my least favorites (laughs) i thought it it, it, in concert it kind of confirmed my eh feeling about it right but now listening to it in context and again that's around version it's 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 getting there for me so i mean i don't think it's a concert song i think it's it's a nice album listening song yeah. where like you just have that last half of it just kind of yeah. like this soundscape of yep. different you know sounds and and but to do that in concert i don't know takes a lot of attention and and i'm going to get a beer during that point <laughs> <laughs> but album listen to an yeah. album i love it yeah so i i listen i look forward to hearing your you know, sensory deprivation feedback on this, uh, on, <laughs> on that track specifically. Well, this has been a lot of fun. I think that we're going to enjoy as fans digesting this album for quite a long time. We're going to actually have a new Steve Hackett album coming out in February. I think that just the way it's released, we're not going to do a track by track thing, but maybe we can get together and talk about that when it's finally a concept too. album. Interesting. <laughs> you know, it's so funny that yeah, it's so funny that that kind of Steve who waves the prog flag more than anyone else in Genesis at this point has taken kind of this long to do a a classic, you know. Uh, a classic concept album and everything. Yeah. So, so watch for that in the new year. I think yeah. that, you know, we're going to be, we have some ideas for what to do in the, in the coming year and everything. So uh, David, we, we may be asking you to join us for a Hackett album again too. So David, I know you said you love this cover mm-hmm. a lot. If you haven't seen it, where do you'll see this? Where do you see the Steve Hackett cover? Yeah, I've seen it. <laughs> I've seen it. It is, it is a, it's one of those that brings out both both sides for me. On on one side, it just kind of feels you know a little circus cartoonish, but then I think about it, I'm like, well, it's a concept album, right? And so you're gonna have something that's a little bit out there. I know pe- I've seen people poking fun at it online. I kind of, without looking that closely at it, I kind of like that old style artwork that it's mm-hmm. kind of mimicking. Like I don't, I yeah. could understand people going, eh, it's it's oh, it's not for me. But to see some of the vehement reactions against the artwork, I'm, maybe that's just because I'm not an art person, visual art person. I'm always kind of surprised when people are that 
kind of against like with Gabriel cover, I'm like, eh, yeah, it's just not for me type of thing. But and that if I really didn't like a Hackett cover, it'd be the same thing. Eh, not for me type of thing. Expectations are high, I guess. Yeah, exactly. We'll be doing that. We'll be doing some getting back into the album reviews as we move forward. Again, we'll probably deal with some older Hackett album. We've talked about doing Geese and the Ghost for a while. But seriously, it's cropped up online as something people are asking for. So I'm sure that we'll do that again. But and again, we we didn't do this over the pandemic, which would have been a perfect time to do it. But we will probably try to do some online interviews with some folks who've played with Genesis, maybe have been in Genesis at different times. You know, we'll uh, we'll try to get some of those things back on the docket and everything and just some interesting conversations with other folks, too. So and it's the uh, next year's the 50th anniversary of a certain Oh yeah, concept so album. Lamb, yes. Speaking yeah. of concept albums, so. so hopefully there'll be some uh, promotion or something about yeah, that. Yeah, let's hope. So maybe we can do kind of a. We've done the Lamb episode already, but maybe we can do some sort of you know Lamb esque, just kind of rambling conversation about it at some point. So, but we'll figure it out. You know, there's a lot of different there's a lot of different things coming up. We definitely want to, as much as we can, keep to you know monthly re- release schedules. We haven't done a tweet along with an album recently. So maybe that should be something we do at some point again, you know, maybe in the depths of winter when we're all trying to get through those cold winter weekends, we can figure, figure something out. So David, do you have anything you want to promo any podcasts or anything that you're a part of or anything that is coming up for you that you'd want to tell the listeners out there about? Not particularly. I've, I've kind of hunkered down a bit. I guess I still do a, a weekly podcast in cooperation with Shane Harris, national security reporter at the Washington Post, where mm-hmm. the two of us most often, occasionally a, a guest host on a weekly basis, will have a long form conversation with somebody on the fringes of national security. So okay. think here about science fiction and its themes as they relate Ooh. to something having to do with national security or art or music. Uh, mm-hmm. Laurie Anderson was one of Shane's guests, for oh, example, okay. which was uh Absolutely wonderful because all the listeners here will know her because of her overlapping of <laughs> work with with Peter, of course. But she also has done some amazing uh, visual artwork relating to issues of uh, surveillance and things like that. So it it fit into the theme of the frontiers of national security. So if you have a wide intellectual appetite, hearing about everything from history to technology to various forms of art and how they have something to do with international politics and even sometimes national security politics, uh, then Chatter is the podcast you should be listening to. That's what it's called, Chatter? That's right. Uh, Kind of a double entendre because they are long form conversations. We've gone up to a couple of hours Uh one-on-one. They're always uh, conversations, just a, a direct discussion. Um, but also chatter because in the intelligence world, chatter kind of refers to that stuff you pick up that doesn't necessarily <laughs> tell you where the missiles are in Cuba, but that mm. something is going on that leads you to other sources. Excellent. So, well, Tom, you and I can make a case to David that we can talk about national security in the context of Genesis and different solo albums and kind of how you have to kind of, I don't know, make up something that that can be relevant as national security. How Phil Collins brought down the Soviet Union. Yes, there's an argument there to go. be made yes. there. There we go. We can be we can be quote unquote expert commentators on this for you. There's Ooh. no way I'm going to be cleared. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> given right. given my history. 
this, the sordid past that we won't go into now. So, well, David, well, thank you very much for taking time to chat with us tonight and everything. And, you know, we look forward to having you on again to talk about different albums and different music at different times. You're welcome. It was a pleasure. Thank you, David. This is Mike Lord. And Tom Roche. And we are signing off as Tabletop Genesis for this episode. Have a great day, everybody.
So everything I care about is held in here. All of those I love inside. Thank you for listening to this episode of Tabletop Genesis. Archived episodes can be found at tabletopgenesis.com, along with updates, polls, and various other podcast-related news. You can also subscribe to the podcast on iTunes to have shows automatically downloaded to your computer when we post new episodes. To keep up with all the Tabletop Genesis activity, follow us on Twitter at Genesis Tabletop. You can like us on Facebook by searching for Tabletop Genesis, and you can email us directly at genesistabletop at gmail.com. Let us know what you think of the podcast or send us questions we can address on future episodes. One by one the voices silenced For they know the time will tell It's time that wears the crown And time that rings the bell All cards on the table All hands are down Everybody's playing for time Everyone's still playing for time Looking for a flicker In the face of the clock Hidden in the mountain the body of the rock No one seems to notice Or to feel the aftershock They're all too busy Playing for time is playing for time You and I still playing for time. The yep. positive thing. So the only then, other news I'll mention for Tom, because yes. Mike, I think I told you this in text, is that I booked my first concert tickets for 2024. And it is uh two shows, June 7th and June 9th, both by Metallica doing completely separate <laughs> sets. <laughs> In Helsinki, Finland. Wow, that is yep. impressive. My son and I are taking a trip to celebrate his uh, finishing middle school, and it's a chance for me to get back to Finland, which I wanted to do for a while. So why not? That's awesome. Yes, yeah. I I don't know if I told you when we saw Gabriel in September, but I I went to that at MetLife here in August, yeah. and yeah, what a great great show. I mean, just I mean, just doing that in Helsinki, tailgating with some. <laughs> Finnish people <laughs> and they have such a great metal culture oh, yeah. there and it's but it's all positivity right it's like yeah great metal culture without the downside that can come with some heavy metal shows in in the u.s they actually use use it to channel their anger appropriately and get it out of their <laughs> system that way so that's the right. way that it should be so yeah yeah uh, well well tom is traveling from use it this coming summer also right tom mm-hmm. yes i will be going to wembley stadium at the end of june to see taylor swift 
Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. This is definitely going at the end of the episode after whatever music I play. That you, wow. can, you will make your announcement of attending Taylor Swift. Okay. Well, it was one of those where like, you, know, the, you know, my youngest daughter, the 13 year old is yeah. totally into it, but she didn't let us know until after the tickets went on sale last fall for this yep. spring. So we weren't going to spend an arm and a leg to scalp tickets here. So <laughs> we actually got a pre-sale code for well done. Wembley. I got lucky enough to actually get into it. Yeah. We're like 10th row center stage off the floor, like facing her. Wow. And I think all three tickets were less than what one single ticket was going for here on the secondary market. Okay. So that's like, that's insane. Um, and has she been to London before? I believe so. I, I I could ask no, my not daughter. Not Taylor she, Swift, your daughter. 